Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, March 2nd, we are studying Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. If a rich man, highly esteemed in the eyes of the world, can only enter the kingdom of God with great difficulty, what about the likes of you and me? Thanks be to God that what is impossible for us is possible for him. Help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today. We have with us regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharp Iron. It's a blessing to be here. Pastor Dandy, as we get started, let's talk context. Where are we in Mark's gospel? What do we need to know going into the text we've got today? Yeah, the, the text we have today is really... Uh, uh, situated between, and actually it's sandwiched between uh, two texts that kind of outline and highlight um, the means by which we're saved, right? And so we get to uh, verses 13 through 16 here in chapter 10, and this is this is the wonderful text that we use in our baptism liturgy, um, where Jesus uh, calls uh, the little children to come to him, for as such is the kingdom of God. Uh, and he says, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so here Jesus beckons us to have this this faith that is dependent on the work of the gospel, uh, this, this faith that is utterly and completely dependent on who Jesus is and what Jesus does for sinners, uh, same way uh, that an infant is dependent on uh, his or her mother and father for everything. So too, when it comes to our life and salvation, uh, we we are like infants. We bring nothing to the table, and yet God offers us eternal life through the grace of His Son, and we receive as babies uh, receive from their mother and father. Uh, and then um, at the end of our text, after our text here, verses thirty-two through thirty-four, we have uh, this this. Once again, this uh, uh, Jesus foretelling his his crucifixion to his disciples, and so uh, we we get to Jesus beckoning us to have the faith like a child, and and then he tells us, okay, well, what does Jesus do to bring us life and salvation? And so we have Jesus saying, I'm going to Jerusalem where I'll be delivered over to the priests and the scribes. Uh, they will condemn me to death and deliver me over to the Gentiles. They will mock me. They will spit on me. They will flog me and they will kill me. And after three days, I will rise. And so we, we see the work that Jesus does for infants like you and me to ensure our salvation, this, this monumental task of the Son of God um, dying and rising for the sins of the world. With that context, let's take a look at Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. That is the text for today. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Pastor Dandy, as you said, the text starts by introducing to us a man who stands quite starkly in contrast with the little children who had just been brought to Jesus. You've had little children, helpless, dependent, being brought to Jesus. He's laying his hands on them. He's blessing them. And here comes a man, he runs up and he kneels before Jesus. That looks like a decent start, I suppose. But then he asks this question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I, I think we have to start here with the question where it's coming from, what he's asking in order to really understand and unpack how Jesus will answer and how this conversation plays out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so as we, we dig into this, we, we see, you know, there, there's this, this eagerness in the man that, that's commendable. Um, uh, there's this, uh, he's on the right track in, in one way because of who he's going to. He's, he's going to Jesus. He's, he's going to see what he can do uh, or going to the one who at least can offer him eternal life. But as, as we think about that, he, he's very, very mistaken on, on what Jesus has to offer him. You know, the question that this man uh, asked of Jesus is, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, you know, similar questions to that are asked throughout the New Testament. You know, we have in Acts chapter 2, uh, after Peter gives his, his great sermon at, this, uh, uh, at the day of Pentecost, this great event, um, uh, he, he, he ends off his sermon saying, uh, you know, this man that we're speaking of, this man that we're proclaiming to you is Jesus, whom you crucified, who is both the Lord and the Christ. And the people at the event of Pentecost are struck to the heart, and they look at Peter and say, brothers, what should we do, right? 
Um, and Peter gives that famous answer, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit for this promise is for you and for your children and all who are far away, as many as our Lord God will call, right? Uh, and so Peter gives this answer. Well, believe in Jesus, turn from your sin, be baptized, trust in the promise of the gospel. Uh, St. Paul is asked this same question uh, as he is uh, imprisoned with Silas, uh, and God opens the prison doors and the earthquake, and as the jailer comes and expects things and sees that the doors were open, he's, he's, he's utterly ashamed and struck with fear. Uh, he's about to take his own life before Paul cries out, don't harm yourself. We're here. We didn't leave. And the jailer calls for light. And he goes and looks in at Paul and Silas, sees them there, and then he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what does Paul do? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household, right? And so here we have these two events in the book of Acts where people want to know the, the answer to the same question that this rich ruler wants to know, or this rich young man wants to know. Um, uh, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to be saved? But as we just listened in the text, Paul and Peter give very different answers to the question than what Jesus gives. And, and if, if we don't properly distinguish what's going on in these texts, um, you can either go uh, to one of two conclusions. You can either convince yourself that, man, Jesus is really being hard on this man who just wants to be saved, right? Uh, or you can say that Paul and Peter are teaching a different gospel than that of Jesus Christ. Um, but uh, fortunately, we as Lutherans have been uh, given this, this uh, blessing of interpretation in the Scripture, uh, and that's the distinction between law and gospel. Uh, uh, and, you know, primarily, we, we think about um, uh, thesis number eight, Mar or Mar not Martin Luther, uh, C.F.W. Walter, uh, the great kind of father of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He, he has this wonderful work uh, on the distinction between the law, um, and that's, that's the uh, commandments of God, right? The, the things that God commands all creatures to do. Uh, and the gospel, and that's the, the salvation of God, uh, what God does for humanity to save them from their sin. Uh, and in Thesis 8, he says uh, to preachers, he says, you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you preach the law to those who are already in terror on account of their sins, or if you preach the gospel to those who are living securely in their sins. And so here you get this, this um, uh, clear answer from the scripture um, and, and how we can interpret these texts and understand that um, Jesus and Peter and Paul are all preaching the same faith. Jesus is not being unnecessarily hard on this rich young man, but what he is doing is he's properly distinguishing law and gospel. 
Because in the cases of Peter and Paul, Peter and Paul are preaching the gospel to those who are terrified, right? He, 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 they, are, they are proclaiming the forgiveness of sins, uh, the salvation by grace through faith alone uh, to these people who um, are cut to the heart. You know, at the day of Pentecost, they, they're cut to the heart by the fact that Jesus was crucified by them. Right, uh, you have this jailer who's who's in distress to the point of death, and what do Peter and Paul do? They give them sweet, pure gospel in Jesus: repent, believe, be baptized, trust in this gift from God that God has sent His Son to die for you for your forgiveness, and you have been given life in His name. Right, and and those people who are crushed by the weight of the law, those people who are are overcome by the consequences of sin, receive that gospel with joy. But the difference here now comes with this rich young man, because as he expresses this eagerness to do a good thing, he desires eternal life, um, he comes to Jesus seeking a lawgiver. He comes to Jesus as a man who is secure in himself. And so he's mistaken over two things. First, he's mistaken over who Jesus is, and he's mistaken over who he is. Uh, because Jesus doesn't come to be a lawgiver, but a savior. And um, a savior only can only will save those who are distressed. You know, you, you don't have uh, EMTs and fire people, firemen, um, uh, running out into the community to do nothing. You know, those people come out to save those who are in distress, those who are in the risk of losing their life. And Jesus has come to save sinners. And yet this rich young man, he, he doesn't have that mindset. He has um, this this classic um, idea of himself in which he he believes that he can work out the event of his salvation. Mm. He can do this thing that needs to be accomplished so that he can be made right in the eyes of God and inherit eternal life. Uh, he can earn his adoption as a son or child of God. Uh, and that's the difference. You know, um, when you think of a little child, a little child simply receives what's given to them. Uh, they, they don't they don't earn anything. Where this man, he doesn't want to receive what's given, but he wants to claim what he believes he can take hold of. And that's 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 a big distinction there that we need to have in this text. As Jesus is interacting with this man, he's interacting out of pure love. Uh, and he's interacting in such a way to call this man to repentance. That's a really important distinction to make, to see how Jesus interacts with this man on the basis of the law so that we don't see any kind of contradictions in the scriptures, but rather, as Luther and Walter both rightly point out, this distinction between law and gospel is a particularly glorious light that just opens up the scriptures to us. We're going to use it in this case to see how Jesus is interacting with this man on the basis of the law, calling him to repentance in hopes that he can use the gospel. Jesus, as you said, he loves this man. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. And so that's behind everything that goes on with this interaction between the rich young man and Jesus. Jesus interacts with him on the basis of the law. That's how the man came to him. 
take us further into this conversation, Pastor Nandy. Yeah, um, and I think that the question really is, why? Why does Jesus uh, have to interact with this man in this way? Um, and it boils down to this, this reality of our sinful flesh. So where our, our sinful flesh, well, 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 every bit of us craves justification, right? Every bit of us craves to be justified and to be forgiven of our sins or to be made right uh, in one way or another. Um, our sinful flesh does not want to be just justified by Christ. Um, it wants to justify itself, um, and it wants to be justified by its own works. And so this, this question that the man asks, he says, what must I do? Uh, and that, that's one, that's a question that will always pop back up uh, for, for people. What must I do? I've been talking to another pastor lately uh, about some of the differences between maybe Calvinist doctrine and Lutheran doctrine. And one of the key differences in this doctrine is something that kind of pertains to their doctrine of man. Because a Calvinist would argue that the purpose of humanity, the purpose of man, mankind, is to glorify God. And that's the chief duty and purpose of man in this life. Right? Uh, and so it's, it's, it's very much focused on the works of man to bring glory to the Lord where a Lutheran would say something different. They would say that the purpose of man is to be justified, that man's chief purpose is to receive the forgiveness of sins that Jesus works for us in the gospel. And, and it boils down to a misunderstanding of what really culminates and what brings God glory. Well, a Calvinist would say that God's glory flows from his sovereignty. And as God is sovereign, uh, God is glorified as his royal subjects bow down and do what he says, right? Uh, that they glorify him in their works. But that's not what the scriptures say. They say that the glory of God is to die for sinners um, and to make man's purpose be anything other and to be forgiven by God and to be glorified by the work of Jesus uh, is to rob God of his glory. Just like uh, it says in John chapter 12, Jesus prays openly. He says, Father, glorify your name. And then this booming voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And so the glory of God is to die for sinners. It's for Jesus to give his life over for us. But see, the problem is our sinful flesh doesn't like that because while the glory of God is to die for sinners and God glorifies himself and glorifying sinners by giving them the forgiveness of sins, by justifying us, our sinful flesh, it, it always wants to go back to the law. It always wants to go back to a self-glory. Um, we, we always want to have the gospel, but maybe we don't always want to live by it. Um, we want to have life from the law. And, and that's what this man is doing. This rich young man is coming to Jesus, and he's not looking for Jesus to be the one who freely justifies him out of pure law, but he's looking for Jesus to be a second lawgiver so that he can glorify himself through his works. Uh, and that's what we have with this rich young man. 
he he wants it to be about him rather than about what Jesus does for him. And he believes that by doing work for God, he can earn favor from God. So his faith doesn't follow the preceding section about the childlike faith that, that, that we're receiving Jesus as a child, but it, it flows from a security in his own self and his own works and his own ability to please God. And Jesus is not having it. He's not going to let this man remain in this false confidence because he wants something better for him. And so Jesus preaches the law. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's where we get into with, with verse 18, where, where Jesus is going to, he's going to say, you want the law? I'll give it to you. But throughout all of his dialogue with this man, he's going to hint at the gospel. And I think that's very important for us to, to note as we go through there as well. So Jesus um, starts by saying to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he begins listing commandments. That first mm-hmm. sentence there from Jesus, the question and response, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It seems to be one of those spots where Jesus, as you said, he's, he's hinting at, at where he really wants this man to go. Take us into mm-hmm. to Jesus' first response yeah. to the man. So he said, and of course, that the answer for us, the reader, looking at the Gospel of Mark, is, wait, Jesus is God, so Jesus is good. This is, uh, are you picking up on this, right? Um, uh, of course, Jesus is good. Of course, Jesus is God, and that's not something that should be questioned here. Yet Jesus is is maybe working to lead this man to the answer to his question, where he says, "I am good. I am God." It's almost as if Jesus is giving the man a hint. Uh, God is good, and God is the source of your salvation, uh, and he happens to be standing right in front of you, right? Uh, he, he's he's, he's kind of just giving him this hint, this, this little nudge in the direction of the gospel, where it's, you know, the I am he reality. You call me good, uh, well, why do you call me good? Uh, it must be because I am your Lord. But this, of course, what we're, what we're dealing with is this young man, he's not looking for a gospel answer to his law question. He wants to do something. He wants to give something to the Lord, uh, to get something back from the Lord. It's a theology of self-glory, uh, that he, he wants to be glorified in of himself. And so he has the gospel standing before him, uh, but he desires for the law to save him. And so since this man wants a law answer to his law question, Jesus gives it to him. Jesus says, do the commandments. Uh, and I think maybe perhaps, especially for us who um, live now on the other end of the Reformation, uh, for us who, um, you know, uh, especially pastors, Missouri Synod pastors like you and me, who have spent a great deal of our preparation and study uh grappling with the distinction between law and gospel, um, uh, 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 who have the understanding from the Scripture that uh, were conceived and born sinful, all of these things, um, that that this man actually believes that he has kept these commandments, mm. right? He says, teacher, all these I kept from my youth. 
except Jesus makes it very clear that, that this cannot be true. Um, one of the key phrases we have in this text um, is from verse 21, where, where Jesus is having this interaction with this man who runs up to Jesus. He kneels before him. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, uh, he, he gets his law answer. He says, great, I'm all set. I'm doing that. But Jesus, once again, he loves him. Uh, and, and in his love for this man, uh, he looks at him, he loves him. And in his love for this man, he, he's not going to leave him where he's at. I, I think in this text, I think, well, I think this text should be very comforting um, for pastors who strive to discipline and disciple their membership, right? Because sometimes as pastors, and, and most of the time, it seems that we as pastors are striving to comfort our sheep. And, and that's an important part of what we do. It's, it's the main thing that we do. We try to comfort the people of God with the gospel of Jesus. Uh, but on the same note, um, uh, a lot of what pastors have to do is, is to discipline the sheep, right? They have to discipline their flocks. And, and a lot of times, uh, that, that work of loving discipline, um, is uncomfortable. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, it's, it creates a lot of heartache. It creates a lot of anxiety. Um, but for any pastor worth their salt, whenever they discipline, a church member, it comes from a position of love. And, and we see that love modeled for us here in Jesus, uh, as Jesus is not going to um, uh, uh, leave this man comfortable in his own works. That, uh, Pastor, he's not going, yeah. I'll just yeah. say, Pastor Day, that, that, that view of love, that love disciplines, that love sometimes says no, is not a common one in our world today. And, and what a wonderful thing it is to see Jesus do that here. And, and I, I love the way the scriptures point that out, particularly in this place, that as Jesus speaks very, what sound harsh words to us, mm-hmm. we know that he's doing it out of love for this man, for his disciples, and for us still today. And so let's pick up on the other side of the break, seeing how Jesus executes that love, how he shows that love to this man in the text. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO, looking at Mark 10 with Pastor Jacob Dandy. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, March 2nd. We're studying Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. We have Pastor Jacob Dandy with us. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, prior to the break, we were talking about how Jesus speaks to this man, even in harsh words, out of love. And so verse 21 says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and he said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. How is Jesus actually showing love with these words? Yeah, well... Jesus is not going to leave this man in a false security, right? He's not going to let him have a hope uh, for his eternal life other than the hope of the gospel. And right now, this man's great, glaring, terrible problem is that his hope is in himself. Uh, when he comes to Jesus asking what to do to inherit eternal life, he's not looking for the free gift of God in Christ Jesus type of eternal life, but he's looking for the God owes me one type of eternal life. It is not the childlike faith we see in the preceding verses where you have an infant dependent on a caretaker to give them all that they need. Uh, but it is, it is this, uh, um, this, it's a salvation based on individual merit. And, and Jesus, in his love, has to shatter this. He, he cannot leave this man uh, in, a, in, a, in a mindset and in a life that is, is doomed for failure. And so he looks at where this man's heart rests. Um, where his heart proves sinful, and he brings that to light, which is which is something God does. He does this through the work of His Holy Spirit. He does this in the preaching of the Scriptures, where He He um, exposes that that one vulnerable thing in each and every one of us. Uh, he He opens up that uh, secret guilt and exposes it by the light of the Word. We get that in Ephesians five. Uh, where, where it says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is in the light. Uh, and so we see that that Jesus is going to shine the light of the law and the fullness of the law, not just this superficial nature of the law where this man can say, ah, yes, I've kept all these commandments from my youth. But he, he's going to reveal that the intentions of the heart of man are sinful from birth. And he's going to expose it in this man. Uh, and, and this particular guy um, has a one big glaring uh, uh, um, sin that rests in it that, that uh, Jesus exposes, which is love of money, which is idolatry. And so it says Jesus looked at him and he loved him and he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And, and this is a really important part, come follow me. And so this statement absolutely shatters the rich young man. Because the first commandment 
stands over this young man as a, an accuser. We remember in the first commandment uh, from the catechism, you shall have no other God. Um, we're commanded uh, and explained and taught from the catechism. That means we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. In the large catechism, Martin Luther tells us that um, whatever we expect the most good, from wherever we expect the most help, from wherever we look at, at whatever thing we look at with the most hope and receive the most joy from, that that is our God. Uh, and, and we can see that this, this man, uh, though he craves internal life from God, his true God is his wealth. Uh, it's his, it's his material goods. And, uh, often, you know, people in this world, we, we have a very faulty view of wealth. Um, uh, you, you can see how people kind of operate at least in our public discourse. Um, you know, even just looking at the magazine covers of the grocery aisle, um, that people often equate wealth and riches with virtue. Right. And so, um, you know, you, you look at these magazine covers and stuff like that and you say, oh, hey, uh, this is the person, uh, uh, whatever celebrity or rich person's secret success. And you, you peel that back and open it up. Right. Um, and so people often error in thinking that if you have a lot of money, you must be doing all the right things. Uh, you must be wise. You must be good. Um and so here we have this, this rich man who um, is very outwardly pious, at least. Um, and, you know, you, you look, you, people would look at him as maybe a public example. But here Jesus is saying something completely different. So um, go keep, keep going, Pastor Daniel. Go That's fine. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, go I was ahead. just, I mean, so this, this man, his, his wealth is his idol. And I think, you know, it's, it's quite telling that when Jesus lists the commandments, he doesn't does not list the first commandment. You know, he does. In fact, he doesn't list any of the commandments that are what we would call the first table of the law. Those commandments that deal with how we are to love God. He only lists those commandments that deal with how to love the neighbor. And you know, I mean, on the one hand, like you said, it's it strikes us, particularly as Lutheran pastors, and I think I think most people reading the text who are Christians. What do you mean you kept all those commandments? No, you didn't. But if you if you have an outward understanding of the law, well, okay, you know, like do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and your mother. From at least from an outward perspective, you know, uh, you might be able to say I did a decent job. Now, of course, we know the law goes deeper than than what this man is actually thinking. But from that outward perspective, maybe. But but Jesus didn't list any of the commandments of the first table, in particular the first commandment, that that it is about the fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And that's where this man has has missed the boat. And even, you know, thinking back to the way Jesus started this conversation, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good. He's God. This man is standing in front of Jesus, seemingly claiming to be good himself. I mean, ultimately, I think that's where his, his idolatry lies, is not only in his wealth, that's, that's where you can see it most clearly, but, but he sure seems to have himself as an idol too. And, and goodness, when I start examining my heart, that's ultimately where it comes back to. It, it's an idolatry of mm-hmm. myself. I think that I'm good yeah. on my own, that I can justify myself. I can stand in front of God and he can look at me and call me good because of who I am. 
And, and when that's the way we come to Jesus, this is the kind of conversation we have with Jesus. And if we're going to hold on to those idols that are ours, wealth, self, whatever the idol may be, we're only going to leave Jesus as this man does, which is, is sorrowful because we, we don't want to let go of our idols. And, and in that, you know, I mean, you really do see the love of Jesus that he would knock those idols away because he came to be the savior and he wants to save. That's what he's here to do. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things just in thinking about human nature, um, when we are met with a great deal of worldly success, um, it's very good or not very good, but very easy for us to inflate our sense of self in a way that we say, I'm doing good. I'm doing the right thing. Um, and so even, even that idolatry of wealth, it, it always boils down or an idolatry of success or an idolatry of anything. It always boils down in any form of idolatry, really, it boils down to this, this self-serving idolatrous nature. And, and once again, Jesus isn't going to leave him there. He loves this man. Um, and so, and I think, so this is something we all need to remember that if I have wealth and pleasure in this world, um, we have to remember the reality that that only lasts for a little while. And if I have poverty and sickness and misery in this world, we have to remind ourselves that only lasts for a little while. Uh, and that's why Jesus in Matthew 6, he, he calls us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, uh, because that is what lasts forever. Uh, if you have suffering, if you have poverty, if you have sickness, if you have health, those are, those are all temporary. Our riches are temporary. Um, and, and Jesus uncovers that. Um, and he, he reveals that to this man. And, and as a result, this, this man leaves in disappointment. Mm-hmm. And so we, we see that this is a law and gospel sort of thing. Uh, Jesus is not adding more law to this young man uh, than, uh, than he would to anyone else, right? Jesus isn't saying that the key to salvation for everyone is that we sell all our material goods and follow Jesus, right? Uh, um, uh but he is saying to this individual man that you have, you have an idol in your heart. Um, you have this sin, and Jesus rids us of our sin. That's what Jesus does. He, he exposes our sin through his word, through the preaching of the law. And um, one of the ways that Jesus uh, rids us of the idolatry or the love of money is by saying, let's just give it away. Uh, because the love of money and the love of God are, are often and, and in many ways incompatible, right? This, this use of money, and there's a godly good use of, of money and material goods in this life. God, God uh, uh, has put us in this world, and this world has means of commerce and trade and making a living and, you know, all of these things. But um, the love of money... Uh, the love of money for the sake of money, it, you know, you, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. Uh, and so one that builds his hope that is entirely dependent on this world um, is, is going to find that that hope will perish with the world. Um, 
And Jesus then tells us then, okay, well, don't build your hope on things of this world. Place your hope on me, the one who is to his kingdom is not of this world. Because Jesus does not ask this man to give up his wealth and do nothing. No, he actually, he, all, he closes this, this, this call for this man to, to give up all that he has. Um, and he closes it out and then follow after me. That, and that follow me, that's the big deal. He, he's, he's calling this man uh, uh, to take his hope from, a, and, and maybe it's, it's kind of this idea, if you think about maybe a Coast Guard ship pulling up to a sinking vessel, um, and, uh, you know, you have a person uh, clinging to the mast of a sinking ship, uh, and the Coast Guard ship pulls up next to it and says, get off your sinking, hop onto my boat, right? Uh, and the guy says, no, I'm quite confident in the uh, uh, ability of my ship to sail me to dry land, right? Um, and that's, that's, not, that's, that's not going to work out well for you. But what Jesus is saying is take your hope from the sinking vessel of your material wealth and your, your earthly pleasure and follow me. Join my kingdom because eternal life is here. That's what you're seeking. What must I do to uh, uh, receive eternal life? Well, you're looking at it, right? We have Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Uh, whoever believes in me uh, will live, and whoever dies and believes in me will live, right? Uh, here we have the man, the person who is the resurrection and the life standing before uh, this rich young man. Uh, he is your life. So he's saying, leave that behind, follow me, uh, cast off your false hope and your false priorities and uh, those, those, the, the, those things that you place your false confidence in, and place it firmly and squarely on your Lord as I'm standing in front of you. And I think, I think that's such a comforting thing actually coming from Jesus here. Right. Not for us, the reader, at least. Right. His, his words, his words, come follow me. We, we definitely need to pay attention to those so that we don't fall into, as you said, the type of legalism that, oh, if this man had just given away all of his money, he would have been good. That was the only commandment that he didn't keep. Or, or that we would somehow think, oh, if I just give away all my money, that's, that's it in some sort of you know, gross, crass legalism in that. We don't want to fall into that. There are many mm-hmm. idols that would prevent us from following Jesus. And so we want to avoid that error in, in this text. Jesus isn't trying to give this man more law to save himself. He's trying to use the law to bring this man to his need for the gospel. At the same time, in our context today, we don't want to over-spiritualize this such that we think that our wealth is no big deal. We, we don't want to think, oh, well, that man's problem was his wealth, and I'm wealthy, but it's not my problem. We, we want to be careful because Jesus has some pretty strong yeah. language about wealth and money, not only in this text, but elsewhere, as to just how mm-hmm. big of a problem that can be, how big of an obstacle that can be, how easily it becomes an idol. I think Luther says, I think it's in the first commandment on the large catechism as well, where he's talking about, you know, what a God is. And he talks about mammon and how, you know, the rich, their, their 
God can be money because they want more of it. And it can be true for the poor too, even if they don't have it, because that's what they're always thinking about. And so, you know, we yeah. want to, we want to be careful that even as we say, look, this man's idol was definitely money. And Jesus speaks to him in that vein. We want to make sure that we don't use that as an excuse on our own parts that we don't examine ourselves and see where, where money might be the obstacle for us as well. So, I mean, we want to, yeah. we want to tr- thread, thread that needle. If I can use that expression as someone else does, <laughs> we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. So uh, Pastor Daddy, we've got, we've got about 10 minutes just so you know it, as we were saying, there's so much in this text, but, but let's, let's push forward so that we make sure Jesus is going to use this interaction to begin to teach his disciples concerning the dangers of wealth, the difficulty of those who are wealthy entering the kingdom of God. Uh, help us for, again, we've got about 10 minutes. I want to make sure we especially get to, you know, that key interaction in 26 and 27. Yeah. Okay. So uh, as, as we're, we're moving forward with the text, this man leaves Jesus in his disappointment, right? Um, and, and then Jesus looks, and he he then looks to his disciples. He looks to those who who are following him, who who do place their hope in him. And he says, "Well, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God." And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them again, "Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle." than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's there's a couple of things that are worth pointing out, and how Jesus, first, how Jesus uh, addresses his disciples as he looks at them, because they, they see this event, and they, they see this interaction between the rich young man and Jesus, and then they see him leave despondent, uh, and and maybe their their initial reaction might be, Jesus, go chase after him. Tell him the gospel. Now he's despondent. Go, 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 go. But instead, Jesus turns to his disciples. He turns to those whom he calls children, right? He says, my children, how difficult. Uh, uh, just, just as we heard Jesus address uh, um, and, and uh, say these wonderful words once again in the preceding verses uh, that whoever doesn't receive that, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a small child shall not enter it. He turns to those who follow him and he says, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And, and, you know, there's a lot of theorizing about what Jesus is saying here about camels and the eyes of a needle. But I think that the, the, the thing that we should gather from this um, most clearly is that you have this, the largest animal in that part of the world and the smallest opening that a person can, can really function with. And he says, that's how hard it is, right? You have this great big camel and the thread of a needle, this, this, this little, little eyelet of a needle that you just would pull a small thread through. Uh, try pulling a camel through that. Uh, well, let's let's see how possible that is, and and what happens is that the the disciples are astonished and and confused and and maybe even a little alarmed. And here is where Jesus pulls the reverse in law and gospel, right? Because he we have at the beginning of this text Jesus addressing a man who is confident in himself, but now he's addressing his children. 
um, who are, are wondering about salvation now, who, who have seen the law proclaimed and, and seek to be comforted from the words of Jesus. And Jesus says this, he says, with man it is impossible, but now with God, for all things are possible with God. Uh, that, that once again, what, what's Jesus calling them to, to look for uh, and to look to, well, to look to him, to be their savior, to look to, be, look to the one who does save poor sinners. Because uh, making a camel go through the eye of a needle is no problem for God. And saving poor sinners is not a problem for God either. Um, uh, and that, that brings us back to the full reality that we're saved by nothing other than the grace of God. We're saved as little children who are dependent on this work and care of God. Um, and so uh, we, we certainly have this caution for us as Christians, because we, we um, and we remember the, the scriptures uh, Jesus teaches us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thief does not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that applies to everyone. That apply to the rich young man, that applies to the disciples of Jesus, that applies to you and me. Um, it, it is very easy um, to um, uh, allow sin um, to creep in uh, when it comes to material possessions and money. It's, it's very easy for our hearts to be led astray um, by our own sinful flesh's greed um, uh, and gluttony and uh, self-centeredness, and so we always need to be on guard with that. Um, but as Jesus seeks to comfort those who follow him, he makes sure to say that your salvation is possible with God. Uh, even if you are rich, um, which, which you know, that, that brings a world of temptation into the picture uh, that we need to be aware of. But any sinner any die-hard, awful sinner can be saved by the grace of Jesus. And, and that's the thing that we rejoice in in hearing this text uh, as we, we look at it here. Peter speaks up in verse 28 in response to this. He, he, he recognized, look, Jesus, we've left everything. What you asked this man to do, we, we did that. What, how does this apply to us? Seems to be what's going on in Peter's mind and in the others' minds. Pastor Danny, with about four minutes here, help us into these closing words of Jesus and wrap things up for us this morning. Give us the goods. Yeah, Jesus says uh, to Peter's question, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. And then, then you have that, that little caveat there with persecutions. But, uh, or and, in the age to come, eternal life. Uh, and I believe that when, when Jesus responds to Peter's claim, right, um, or, or question, uh, hey, we've left everything for you, we're following you, Lord, uh, Jesus is teaching us 
not to find contentment in that either. Not to find contentment in anything in this world, but we are to expect to receive all things um, from the grace of God. We're expected to receive all things from the hand of God as as a, a loving creator and a loving savior. But as we follow Christ, we are to receive all of those things with the antagonism of this world. And yet what we forfeit from this world and following Jesus, uh, we gain in the fellowship of the church in our unity with Christ. Uh, we, we gain in being enjoined to this, this fellowship of believers, right? Uh, uh, as we leave uh, sister, mother, father, mother, children, and lands, we also then gain that. We gain houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. In the unity of our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we gather together around Jesus, as we gather as these children of God who receive from the hand of God out of his pure grace and love for us uh, uh, in the forgiveness of sins and life. And the world world will not tolerate that. The world will, will, will find ways to mock that. The world will find ways to persecute that. The sinful world wants nothing of the free grace of Jesus. It wants to be like this rich man, confident in itself, confident in its power, confident in its abilities. And yet, what do we receive? We receive what that rich young man yearned for, and that's eternal life in the name of our Savior Jesus. That's eternal life by being joined to Christ through his means of grace uh, and, and following him uh, through the persecution, through the cross, if you will, um, and into the resurrection and to the right hand of the Father and the life everlasting. Pastor Jacob Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California, helping us this morning with Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Pastor Dandy, thanks for being our guest today. Ah, no problem. It's a joy to be here. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Mark chapter 10 or the gospel according to St. Mark, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.